Good afternoon to all the art lovers, art curious and culture vultures out there and thanks for tuning in once again to What The Art where we discuss all the arty happenings in New England and beyond. I'm Rachel Parsons, Director of New England Regional Art Museum and I agree with Renee Magritte who said art evokes the mystery without which the world would not exist. Uh, I want to do a quick shout out to local artist Leah Bullen for her recent accolade winning the Pring Memorial Prize as part of the 2021 Win Prize. Congratulations. It is fantastic to see our regional artists being recognised on the national stage and her work, Arid Garden, Wollongong, is outstanding. You can follow Leah on Instagram, leah.bullen, to see this and many others of her works. Today we are asking a question that most of us who now work in the arts once faced. How does one pursue a career in the creative industries? How might we translate our passion for visual arts, music, acting or design, for example, into a job? We hear all the time that making it in the arts is tough and yet there are many people who are forging creative careers and finding all kinds of satisfaction and success within them. There are many pathways within the creative industries, possibly starting with tertiary education, maybe involving what we come, what we have come to term a portfolio career. The journey may be windy and challenging, but there are lots of possibilities. This is the focus of the Art World Seminar happening tonight at New England Regional Art Museum. The seminar is for students who may be aspiring creatives and we'll look at possible pathways to pursue their creative dreams in the real world. Throughout the seminar we'll be hearing from four creative professionals across the visual arts, drama, music and design industries and I am joined by two of those creative professionals on the show today, actor and voiceover artist Gareth Rickards and musician and CEO of the New England Conservatorium of Music, Chris Clark. Thanks for joining me Gareth and Chris. Hello. Uh, the boys know each other and they have promised to misbehave. So this should be an interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get started. Um, can you describe what you do within the creative industry? So how would you describe uh, your current job? Let's start with you, Gareth. Um, well, I'm a jobbing actor, basically, which means I... Um I very often wait for my agent to call with an audition for, uh, you know, often the Americans and uh, and throw that down or otherwise, as you mentioned, voiceover work. So I guess that's, um, yeah, the same, like what we're doing now, sitting in front of a microphone and try and sound as beautiful as possible. <laughs> and you do sound so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is an audition. <laughs> and Chris, how would you describe your current profession within the creative industry? Uh, well, so, I mean, I've made the switch now to the dark side of being an arts administrator. Me too. Um, but started as a professional musician, so counting to four or six on a good day was my lot in life. Um, but now I make other people count to four or six. <laughs> and do you enjoy the switch? I do, actually. I, um, I made a very conscious decision relatively early on when I started gigging professionally mm. that I found, um, having worked so hard towards having a career, you know, in the performing arts, um, when I got there, I actually didn't find it that exciting and interesting and creative. So um, I reversed the truck up a little bit and um, went down the administrative path because I found for my sins, you know, making the books balance or making budgets line up or policies and procedures work or contracts be squeaky tight and clean, much more creative and interesting and satisfying than performing. So it was um, 
quite a red switch to make really early on in the career. Yeah, sure. We probably have a bit of a similar story. I'm sort of the same, um, having studied visual arts um, and then discovering much to my um, sadness at the time that I wasn't a fantastic artist. Um, <laughs> but I loved um, combining the creativity of the visual arts with my love of spreadsheets and being an absolute control freak, yeah. which allows me to run an organisation. You're in um, the right job. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, but Gareth, I suppose you've stuck more to your initial intention to, to be an actor. Yeah. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to do that? Did you have an aha moment? Did you come to it gradually? Um, I don't think it was an aha moment, though I did confess to my sister after watching the film Broken Arrow with John Travolta and Christian mm. Slater back in the early 90s that that may have been what got me over the line. Um, <laughs> But, it was, yeah, it was something that sort of ticked away with great fondness uh, throughout schooling in Armadale. Um, sort of followed me through Taz, where they moved the drama room four times <laughs> over six years. We gradually got to bigger and bigger uh, premises mm -hmm. as the uh, subject gained a bit of power. So by the end of that, I think I was confident enough, um, yeah, to, to give it a crack and... I guess yeah, there's only room for one control freak in our family, so I was the, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was I the think creative that, that continued. <laughs> I think that could be a, a shout-out to, to Mummy Rickards. Hi. Who must be listening. Yeah, who must be listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, have they named the Taz Drama School after you now, or is that still I'm coming? sure there's a plaque uh, deep down <laughs> underneath <laughs> the third step. But so, uh, Gareth, having decided that you wanted to be an actor, one, how does one go about it? How do you become an actor? Um, well, my I, I had no connections really uh, into the industry proper, so I, I, that's why I chose to go to acting school. Um, so, yeah, it, it's the auditioning chain of doing all the, at the time, seven major acting schools in Sydney, uh, sorry, in Australia, and got into one of the two that was in Sydney. And then um, uh, that gives you the chance to study for three years, but then you get your agent stay at the end where you perform for all the big agents in town and ideally get picked up and that's your kind of ticket into, you know, auditioning for the big guys. Sure. And Chris, you also studied music at mm -hmm. uh, a conservatorium. Yes. Uh, and how important, uh, you know, because as we've discussed, you did not, uh, you know, currently you're not a professional musician, but obviously that's the foundation for mm -hmm. everything that yep. you've done. So how important do you think that tertiary education is? Oh, gosh, that's, I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword yeah. with um, studying performance. And I'm going to suspect visual arts as well, because you obviously can do it alone. I mean, you have to go and have lessons mm -hmm. and meet lots of people and practice your butt off, of course. Um and I think going to university provides you the impetus and the rigor and the structure in which to do that. But essentially it still comes down to you practicing and learning your craft and meeting and networking with a lot of people, which you can easily do without doing a tertiary qualification. I mean, um, when it comes to music performance, you are assessed entirely on your performance on the day in an audition. Um, I suspect that's the same, you know, it doesn't matter what piece of paper you've got behind you if you're doing an acting mm. audition. Yeah. If you're the best actor on the day and you fit the role, and the same with performance in music, if you nail your part in the audition, you get the gig. They don't care whether you've studied at any particular school whatsoever. So the piece of paper itself is, by and large, not that meaningful, but mm -hmm. it is the discipline and the rigour of you know, regular recitals and concerts and exams and technical work and lessons that keep you going and motivated if you're unable to do that by yourself. 
Sure. And Gareth, do you find that is a similar experience within acting? Yeah, yeah. Though it's, um, <clears throat> I guess, if you take, uh, I've done some shows with NIDA actors, for instance, it's less the, the paper that they get from it, but the, the institution breeds a particular type of performer which carries a lot of... Uh, you know, confidence into what they do. Sure. They, they have like a NIDA product, for instance. Like Kate which, Blanchett. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and all those who aspire to be, which is more, I, I think they all work out with those aspirations mm. and continue that for the next 12 or 15 years, even if they're only ever performing in the, you know, slummy Dallow Theatre or something like that. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's often a personality thing, I think, in acting auditions that sort of gets you over the line they say the moment you walk through the door you you know you have to assume character rather than the moment you put the violin under your chin for instance so yeah sure but see i think if you connect with the right mentor or teacher whether that's inside a degree or not i mean like you say you know you will develop those skills you don't need the institution around you to do that though it provides a great way to do it yes but you know if, if I had found I've actually mentioned this to a few people when they were looking to go into a course about just have private lessons instead of mm. doing maybe you know a lot of people become um, compulsive study as they do a degree and then a postgrad and then a master's and all those kinds of things and they're actually in the music world often doing it just for the lessons mm-hmm. I'm like well just have the lessons yourself with people because yeah. if you have those lessons and develop yourself as a musician or a performer and then you, um, the networking side, but I can't understate enough how important that is mm. to know the right people and get yourself in front <coughs> of the right people and be seen and known socially as well as professionally. Mm. Um, that's how you break across from being considered a student to where you get a call up often at the last minute to step in for somebody who's off sick or away or something like You get your break, you know, yeah. and mm. then it comes down to whether you can perform or not. And nothing to do with the degree. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd agree with that and, and say that um, people, you know, and, and I probably made this mistake, you graduate and you think, okay, I'm a trained actor now, <laughs> <laughs> therefore I, I don't need to do anything else, I'll just walk into an audition studio and, and nail it, but it, it's that constant practice and I think they're, you know, if I think to people I know that have done really well, they're people that have persisted with training specifically on an audition technique and then, you know, for the technique for the actual gigs. I I have a vision in my head now of you stepping out of graduation and just standing on the top of a big staircase going, I am an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just to my parents. To be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, So, uh, Gareth, this might be for you. I'm I'm wondering if you had to have a difficult conversation with your parents at some stage to let them know that uh, <laughs> you wanted to be an actor because you know it's a precarious um, uh, vocation to to go into. I know that I had to have that conversation with my parents because previous to deciding that I wanted to be an artist, I was going to be a lawyer. So did you have to, you know, sit your your parents down and go this is what I want to do and convince them or were they immediately supportive they look to be fair to them they actually were quite supportive immediately um, to do whatever I wanted to do so there, there was the mention of law which um, you know I confess 18 years later I'm studying a law degree but <laughs> <laughs> it's um, have something to fall back on. that's right yeah it's <laughs> all about the training right um, but but no, they were yeah they, they were fantastic in the sense of 
not trying to dissuade me from what I was doing. Mm. Uh, though, you know, just always being the, the little person on the left-hand side of your shoulder saying, you know, is this really what you, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is this Kenny. a supportive industry? Which I suppose is, you know, a, a, an area of legitimate concern. Yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's fair. And what about you, Chris? Because your, your instrument when you started was piccolo. Yeah. Was that something you were doing as a kid? Because I guess with music, you tend to start quite early and you're doing this throughout your entire schooling and that kind of thing. Yeah, and well, I came to music so incredibly late. So mm. um, completely non-musical family. I mean, I never had to have that difficult conversation because we literally had zero idea what the arts were um, in my background. So um uh, was just a chance, you know, a lot of school kids get bust in, disadvantaged school kids get bust in to have free performances and concerts and things. And halfway through year 11, our school was bust into the Sydney Opera House. We saw a performance of Barbara Seville, a Rossini opera by Opera Australia. And in that moment, I just thought, oh, I could do this. How hard could that be? I mean, I didn't really have a pathway set mm. out for myself, but, you know, that just spoke to me in that moment and I was like well I'll just do that so I um, went to a cash converters the next day I mean the reason I chose the piccolo was it's the loudest highest instrument you can hear it above everything <laughs> and it says a lot about people's personality what instrument they choose yeah I can <laughs> see the alignment <laughs> um, and then I went to a cash converters the next day found a beaten up old piccolo started learning and was only like I mean obviously worked my butt off but a year later auditioned and got into the conservatorium so um, kind of weird way to come about it so then in first year standing next to people who have been playing their instruments since before they could talk even. It was a very strange way to come into it. But mm -hmm. So, yeah, never had to have that conversation with the parents because I don't think any of us really knew what it was. You know. So you were a surprise musician. Very surprising, yeah. yeah. fantastic. And Gareth, for you, um, as you were saying, you, uh, you did a lot of drama at high school, so you sort of built it up more, you know, over a, a period of time. Um, when you were considering, you know, turning this into a professional career, did you have a sense of, you know, a, a natural talent or, you know, had you considered, because I, I think it's a really important question to ask, there's obviously the desire to be an actor, yeah. but had anyone actually said to you, but yeah, you, you've got talent, you should go for it? I mean, how do you know if you're good or just passionate? Um, I think, yeah, one of the things that got me over the line is they used to do a thing called the Shakespeare Festival nationally, which I don't think they do anymore, which is a real shame. Mm. But um, that, uh, yeah, a girl and I from Armadale won that. So we went to Sydney and won it there as well. So they did a sort of a, a national show of 30 students from around Australia that did a, a show together. And, you know, first of all, I really enjoyed it. And then being amongst those people, one of the tutors was you know it said this is you know something you seem to be quite good at and you should give it a try so <laughs> i think yeah hearing it from someone who worked for you know the bell shakespeare company it's like okay well, you know that's that's enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah good i'll give this a stab Absolutely. um yeah that was probably the, the thing that ticked me out of it Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break and go to a song. Uh, this one was requested by Gareth Rickards, and we're going to listen to All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Get no relief Business man there 
Welcome back to What the Art, where we're talking about career pathways in the creative industries with uh, Chris Clark and uh, Gareth Rickards. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the industries that you're in. I feel like there's a lot of... Um, you know, quite extreme and polar opposite views of what it might be to, you know, be an actor, for example. You have this sort of Hollywood vision and it's all um, celebrity, crazy money, big parties, diva attitudes, you know, um, that kind of thing. Award ceremonies, you know, personal assistance, mm. those kind of things. And then you have the, it's all true. This is the lifestyle. I'm so yeah. glad I got you here today. You yeah. Know? I had to talk to 15 people. It was, yeah, really, it was really hard. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, you have that sort of really struggling actor where, you know, you're auditioning all the time and you're being rejected all the time and you're living in a shoebox with 15 other actors and, yeah. um, you know, going to parties so you can steal the free food. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. there's that I really, can talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in your personal experience, are these, you know, stereotypes accurate um and has that been your experience within the industry so the the, the diva attitude certainly goes between both of your versions there um doesn't <laughs> doesn't need the the pas or the the money to create that um i think yeah yeah quite crudely there'd be people that you know pose as an actor mm. and sort of behave in this lifestyle that they believe exists and especially now you've got things like Instagram and um, you know and it's really like Home and Away has a spot reserved for a member of cast that's an Instagram influencer <laughs> to, to keep the show going it was yeah well, <laughs> once I got my third follower yeah. um, so they yeah so there's that whole element which is really creepy it's yeah are you an actor or are you a yeah a, a personality or a celebrity mm. and I, I guess it's you know even with legitimate actors um, that they're still a product that sells, you know, their shows, their films or whatever. Um, so I guess there's a there's a crossover that happens there. But um, where am I going now? Help me out. Uh, you're asking for a line. Are I'm you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Feed me. Well, I guess, line. you know, so you, you describe yourself as a jobbing actor. You're living yeah. here in Armadale. You're, you know, married. You've got kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't seem quite like the... Um, you know, the struggling actor experience nor the, you know, glamorous Hollywood experience either. So, you know, what's what's kind of your day-to-day -day existence as an actor? Ah, good question. Okay, so it's, um, I mean, it probably more easily described from, you know, it, we, you need to be in Sydney or Melbourne to be really in touch with what's going on because that's where you do the majority of your auditions. Um, show, if you're doing theatre, obviously, they're the places to be. Um, it's it's real. I mean, even with theatre, if unless you you have a second job, you're not making a living. Even mm -hmm. you know, people doing shows with Belvoir or Sydney Theatre Company. First of all, it's not sustainable for an entire year, mm -hmm. um, and the wages they make aren't great. So it's it's you know, you get a lot of call centre jobs, a lot of cafe jo like hospitality jobs. That's that's a reality of it. So I'd say yeah, early early mornings, a lot of dealing with the general public. Um, and then changing face when you sort of slip into an audition or pop into the theatre at night. Um, that that would be the reality that I've experienced. Yeah, sure. And Chris, as we have discussed, you know, you started off as a as a musician, and you've had quite a diverse career. How do you go from a piccolo player in a major city, because uh, you've come from mm -hmm. Melbourne, um, through to the you know the CEO of of a conservatorium in a regional town? Um, 
couple of things might have influenced that. One is uh, my obscure instrument choice. <laughs> made me have to be very creative. You know, you can't just slot into a string quartet and play gigs. Mm -hmm. You had to create your own work often. So you had to invent gigs from scratch yourself and find reasons to, you know, cast yourself in that gig. Um, so very early on, I was organising kind of creative, quirky things that didn't quite fit the the mould of a classical performance just so that you could shoehorn a piccolo in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so I got good at, you know, booking musicians and negotiating fees and scheduling dates and planning and rehearsals and all those kinds of things. Um, and the other way I, I cut my teeth in the kind of admin side of things is volunteering in a community orchestra. You know, starting from literally setting up the chairs and the stands and carrying the timpani around and, you know, all that kind of stuff and then sitting down and playing as well and then going away and marking who was in attendance and website and all that kind of stuff. Got um, really diverse experience, even though it is at a grassroots level, they're skills that I still use. All I'm the time still today. stacking lots of chairs. <laughs> I've seen you stack all the time. So that's probably the main way that I made the transition across and, and as I said gradually found that more interesting and creative and satisfying and I also realised that I didn't have the right personality to teach so um, like you're saying the gig is at night time and it's you know it's great when it's there but it's peaks and troughs in terms of uh, money so most musicians stabilise their income by teaching during the day or after schools and I just didn't have the right personality for teaching, unfortunately. So I did some of the admin work as paid work to kind of bolster out my um, my money to eat and pay the bills, mm -hmm. basically, in the early stages. Um, so, you know, it was having that mix of admin and playing really on, early on, which I'm really grateful for now because it's obviously meant that I've had a career out of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested, once again, because we are in, you know, Armadale, regional New South Wales, um, can you be a professional musician whilst living in a regional town or do you also have to, you know, as Gareth was saying, perhaps make the move to the city to at least establish your career in the first instance? I think, um, you know, increasingly after last year, you can do your creative work from anywhere. I mm -hmm. mean, especially if you start delving into multimedia and things like that. But, you know, um, it's not far for Armidale residents to get to Brisbane or Sydney for some major work with a symphony orchestra for example recording gigs you know you'll pop down and you'll work intensively for a couple of days and you'll come back um, I don't think that geography is a barrier to that at all mm -hmm. I mean when you go to a big city obviously there are more opportunities but there are exponentially more people who are skilled to fill those roles so um, in some ways, there's no competitive advantage to being in a city, but that's where a lot of your gigs are. So if you're prepared to travel and mm. kind of make the lifestyle sacrifices of, you know, venturing off to where the big gigs are occasionally and weighing that up with the benefits of, you know, the lifestyle benefits of living in a regional area, well, mm. then, you know, that's a another conscious way that you can go about it. Yeah, sure. So, Gareth, you were saying that, you know, it is a precarious industry. Um, you know, there has been times where you're making your money whilst making coffee, but still trying to, you know, live live the dream. Mm. Um, so it's not it's not an easy decision and uh, to, to go into acting. And we now know that, you know, the, the government has recently increased the price of studying um, in the industry as well. So it's a harder decision than ever. If you were going to talk to 17-year-old Gareth now, who was, you know, struggling <laughs> with the idea of whether or not he wanted to go to acting school, is there any sage advice that you would give him? You know, would you do it the same way again? Oh, good question. It's 
my going through acting school, I was probably too stubborn as a 17 year old to listen to myself now anyway. So <laughs> I'd have to shut up, Gareth. I'm going to do it. Um, it's tricky because, yeah, you encounter a lot of very difficult personalities at acting school. So I'm not sure if I actually enjoyed it. It was a pretty tough three years, you know, from a social perspective. Um, and it's it's questionable whether you walk out being a better actor because I think going back to what Chris was talking about earlier is if you you know if you have a a nous for talent and you're prepared to follow it there's you know there's ways now that you could do that by simply you know volunteering for student films uh, do, doing that practice I mean you, you know if you go to like Russell Crowe's example famously he. He was doing gigs to pay to save money to go to NIDA, and by the time he'd saved up enough money, he was you know he was an actor. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's it's a big question. I, I think you know a critique of myself would have been I probably took acting school as a bit of a security blanket, mm. thinking that was making me a better actor and would push me into the um, into the industry. But it's yeah, I, I think. If you relax into that, that's when it probably starts to double back on you. So that's probably one of the mistakes I made, I'd yeah, say. Sure. So that, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't take it easy. Like, it, you know, if you want to be the best coming out of acting school, because, you, you know, they are wonderfully – it's a great experience. It's down for three years and focus mm. on this thing that you love. But if you start to take it um, for granted, that's, that's when you'll probably start to slip behind. Yeah, sure. Chris, as a, as a last word on the topic, because we're about to run out of time, uh, you know, as we've heard, the creative industries, they're challenging, they're precarious, they're full of, you know, weird personalities. Uh, why do we do it? Why are we all so attracted to, to this industry, <laughs> given that it's, you know, so crazy? God, I've got a couple of different answers. <laughs> One is, to be frank, sometimes that's all people can do like mm. if that's your real skill set if you're a mm. amazing actor and you can't you know do accounting to save your life you remain an actor or yeah. a visual artist or a musician right and then sometimes you do fall into that stereotype of the struggling bohemian artist right um i think look if, if people should absolutely go into the arts as a career but i always think if you are hell-bent on being a performer it is a very difficult road, mm. right? It's a very difficult road um, to follow. And if you can somehow do any other skill set in the arts, I reckon it's actually a fantastic career. So if mm. you are into IT, do IT in the arts. If you are into numbers, do finance in the arts. If you are into marketing, do marketing in the arts. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So combine that passion and interest for the arts but with another job in the arts because I've found that the admin side of things is really satisfying, really rewarding, really creative, great people. You get all the perks of working in the arts like opening nights and free tickets and all those kinds of amazing things as well as, you know, um, satisfying the creative itch. Mm. But, um, yeah, if you can do anything else in the arts other than perform, I would just say it's the best career choice ever. But the path as a dedicated performer is a very difficult one. Sure. That is all the time that we have uh, for um, on What the Art Today. Though if you do want to hear more, there are still tickets available for our Art World Seminar uh, tonight. It is specifically aimed at students, their parents and teachers. But, you know, if you're super interested, 
come along. We won't, you just know, shut the door on you. Just listen to Gareth, absolutely. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, next week is Refugee Week, and Niram has partnered with uh, Settlement Services International to present Homelands Arts Tour, showcasing talented artists. Homelands aims to raise awareness and understanding of refugee experiences through cinematic exhibitions, questions and answers, and workshops. Homeland, Homeland brings artists and communities together in creative and meaningful ways that promote social cohesion and unity. You can check out all the information and the full program on www.niram.com.au uh, If you need some daily art inspiration you can follow me, Rachel NP, or Niram on Instagram or just come visit us at the Art Museum and there is always something excellent to see. I'm Rachel Parsons and I'll see you soon at Niram. And we're going to finish this show with Chris's song choice. You can thank me later. Absolutely. <laughs> so Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites uh, by Skrillex and it's the Dirty Phonics remix I believe. So the best one. Let's hear that one. <laughs>